Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, the reason I got uh, Sarah to read out that particular passage, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, is because tonight I don't want to preach from Daniel chapter 6. So open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. And in this chapter, we see the lion being tamed. The lion being tamed. You know, this week I read a story in the Sun newspaper from the UK about how Silicon Valley billionaires are prepping for the apocalypse. Apparently, they're building 120-ton survival bunkers in New Zealand. Now, why New Zealand? Well, apparently, it's because New Zealand is the enemy of no one, and so it's one of the most safest places on the face of the earth. But it's interesting, isn't it, how there is this rising fear that people have of a soon-coming apocalypse. It's interesting how many people, given the tensions that we see in our world, are adopting a survival mentality. They're spending thousands of dollars on building a place where they can be safe. But it's not just the people of this world who adopt a survival mentality. You know, there is a great temptation for people of faith to adopt a survival mentality. We just need to survive until Jesus comes back. Given that all that we see that's happening in the world, like doomsday preppers, let's just enclave ourselves off from the world and let's just build our own little Christian bunker where we can be safe. You know, when the Jewish exiles, when they first came to Babylon, they had a survival mentality. But the prophet Jeremiah, who was a contemporary of Daniel, he wrote them a letter, and it's recorded in Jeremiah 29. And he said to them these very interesting things. He said, I don't want you to just build this little enclave away from the rest of the city of Babylon, but I want you to build houses. I want you to plant vineyards. I want you to give your your sons and your daughters in marriage. I want you to increase there. I don't want you to decrease. I want you to pray for the city of Babylon. People say we should pray for the city of Jerusalem. They're actually commanded to pray for the city of Babylon. Seek its prosperity, because in seeking the prosperity of the city, you will prosper. In other words, Jeremiah was saying, you don't need to have a survival mentality. You can thrive while in exile. You know, the church that I grew up in as a young person had a survival mentality. We were just surviving on till the rapture. And we were just this little enclave, little enclave of Christians safe from the rest of the world. And what tended to happen is many of the young people who grew up in that church, because they had never been taught how to thrive out there in the world, they either got consumed by the world or what happened is they just adopted this mindset where they were Sunday Christians and their Christianity didn't really travel much outside of this of the room in which we were meeting. But that should never be. You see, as Christians, we are to be, as Jesus said, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And as we come into Daniel chapter 6, we tend to view Daniel, as we come into Daniel chapter 6, as still a teenager. If you've ever been to Sunday school, you see all the pictures of Daniel and he's like a teenager. But actually, by the time Daniel comes into Daniel chapter 6, he's actually around 80 years of age. He's gone through three different kings, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Belshazzar, his son, 
And as we saw last week in our morning service, King Darius the Mede. So Daniel is someone who is an example of someone who finished well, who ran their race right to the finishing line and finished well. And from Daniel's life, what we are going to see is that if we want to thrive and not just survive as Christians, then there are three attitudes that we need to adopt, three attitudes. The first attitude that we need to adopt is we must embrace our calling in society. Down in verses 1 to 3, we see Daniel's calling, the calling that he had in society of Daniel chapter 6. We read this. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, their governors, uh, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And then over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps or governors should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss." Now, if you were with us in the very first week of our study of Daniel, you remember that Daniel was not primarily a prophet. He was primarily a government official. He lived his mission out in the marketplace. More than anything else, we need Christians who are willing to embrace their vocation as their calling. You see, we need to banish from our thinking this idea that there is a sacred part of life and a secular part of life as if what I do as a pastor is more important than what you do. No, 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 no. All of life is sacred to God. All of life is sacred to God. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the world. Now, what does salt do? Salt preserves. In the ancient world, you didn't have refrigeration. And so if you wanted to keep something good, you needed to put salt on it. If you wanted to keep meat, you needed to put salt in it to preserve it. And the way that we have an effect on society is as Christians living our lives for Christ out in the marketplace, out in our vocations where God has actually put us. Now, you might say, well, Timon, that's okay for you to say that you can embrace your job as as your calling, but you've got a pretty good job. You don't know the sort of job that I've got. I've got a very demoralizing sort of job. Well, it's very interesting that Daniel, he didn't choose the job that he had. His job was chosen for him. In Daniel chapter 1, we read how Nebuchadnezzar had taken him and just took him by force and placed him in the king's um, court. So even, even if you don't have a job that you particularly like, I still think that you can actually, if you embrace it as a calling, as an act of worship before the Lord, you can still make a difference for him. You know, when I think of a Christian who thrived by embracing their calling, and was salt and light in the world, I think of William Wilberforce. Wilberforce was born in 1759 and grew up in a Christian family, but he was not really converted. In 1776, he enrolled in St. John's College in Cambridge, and not long after graduation, he ran for Parliament representing Hull. He was only 21 years old, and though running against a strong opponent, he won the election beginning his political career. In 1784, he won the election again to Parliament, this time for Yorkshire, one of the most coveted seats in the House of Commons. But despite all of Wilberforce's success as a young man, he was inwardly wrestling inside. And so in 1784, he decided to visit a former tutor named Isaac Milner. And through his witness, as well as reading the Bible, Wilberforce had a deep spiritual conversion to Christ. Now, when he was converted, religious enthusiasm was generally regarded as a social transgression, and it was stigmatized in polite society. 
Evangelicals in the upper classes were, 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 were ridiculed and, and they were made fun of. And this led Wilberforce to question whether he should remain in public office, whether he should remain in politics. Maybe he should go into ministry. And so he sought advice from John Newton. John Newton is the writer of the hymn, Amazing Grace, a leading evangelical pastor of the day. Well, Newton counseled him to remain in politics and told him that maybe God has you there for a reason. And so he stayed in politics. He stayed and embraced politics as his calling from God. And one of the things that was on Wilberforce's heart that actually was given to him by John Newton was a passion against the evil of slavery. And when Wilberforce started out against slavery, there was him that voted against slavery and the rest of the parliament were against him. It was him and no one else. But he labored there for over 40 years and by the end, it was passed and slavery was abolished in England and throughout the world. And this was all because of a Christian who embraced their calling as salt and light in the world. You know, what we need more than anything else is Christians who say, where God has placed me is my calling. It's my God-given calling and I'm going to be salt and light. I'm going to approach my job as worship. I'm going to be the church on mission for Jesus in the world as salt and light. See, if you want to thrive as a Christian, don't just pick up your Christianity like a coat at the door as you come in on Sunday worship and then leave it at the door as you go out. No, take Christ with you. Be on mission. Be salt and light. Embrace your work as your calling. But the second thing that we learn from Daniel is if we are going to thrive and not just survive, we not only need to embrace our calling, but we also need to excel in character. Look down in verse 3. It says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the high kingdom. So, so the king planned to make Daniel the president of the kingdom. First, he was one of the top three and now he was going to be the top dog and this was all because he had an excellent spirit. Look down in verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. You know, this is phenomenal. You know, when you go into public life as a politician, you're under intense scrutiny. And how many politicians have you read of recently who they found various dirt on many, you know, things that they did in their past that, that, that were just terrible, that were just shocking. But with Daniel, no dirt could be found on him, except for one thing. Look down in verse 5. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Now, I was really challenged by this verse this week because it says that Daniel's character was so excellent that the only dirt that they could find on him was his faith in God. The only ground of complaint that they had against Daniel was he was a man who served God wholeheartedly. I don't know about for you, but that's something that I aspire to. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In 
Titus 2 verse 8, Paul said, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, this is what challenges me, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. You see, Daniel's opponents had nothing evil to say about him except that he loved and served God. You know, as I was studying this passage this week, I had to come before the Lord and I said, Lord, search my heart. What's in my heart? What are the, have, I, have I drifted away from you, Lord? Are there things in my life that if people looked, if people followed me closely, if they knew my browser history, if they knew what I watched on television, if they knew the, the things that I said in private conversation, would this disqualify me from my office? Lord, I need to come before you and I need to repent. I need to repent because, you know, if we are going to make a difference and thrive, we need to be people of excellent character. Now, excellent character does not mean that we're perfect. No one is going to be perfect, but a person of integrity is a person who is the same person in public as they are in private. The people that you should ask about me are my children. What is Pastor Timon like at home? What is he like behind closed doors? You should ask Tegan, what is Timon really like? They're the people who will be able to give you an accurate assessment of me. And true integrity is not saying I don't have any faults, but true integrity is saying who I am in public is who I am in private. What you see is what you get. But third, if we want to thrive while in exile, not only do we need to embrace our calling, not only do we need to excel in character, but thirdly, we need to be people of no compromise. What do we need to be people of? No compromise. No compromise. You see, if you embrace your calling, if you're truly open as a Christian, if you're a public Christian and you're excelling in Christian character, then you, will, you can expect opposition, which is exactly what happens. Look down in verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdoms, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an induction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. He appealed. They came and they appealed to Darius's pride. We want you to sign a document that says that everyone should only pray to you for the next 30 days. And King Darius signed that document. You know, John Lennox in his book on Daniel points out in, in chapter 3 that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had to take their stand against idolatry. But in chapter 6, it's actually different. It's taking your stand against the law of the land. And throughout the centuries, and even today, my brothers and sisters in Nepal, who I'm going to visit in three weeks' time, have to take their stand against unjust and ungodly laws. So what would Daniel do? Let's remember, for Daniel, obedience to God would be very costly. It would cost him his position. He was going to be president. Would you give up the presidency for your faith? But it also cost him his life. He could be thrown into the lion's den. 
You know, Daniel had three choices before him. Choice number one, he could just not pray for 30 days. Choice number two, he could pray in private. He could, he could just pray in his heart to God and, and no one else would see. Or he could do what he had always done. I love verse 10. Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew. That's interesting, isn't it? When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where his windows in his upper chamber were open towards Jerusalem, the city of God. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He did not compromise. His conviction was that he would pray publicly and openly. He'd done that his whole entire life, three times a day. And so when the law changed, it didn't mean a thing to Daniel. Daniel kept on going with his convictions despite the cost. And it did cost. Verse 11, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before God. They came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den? The king answered and said, The thing you st says stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. They then answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction you have signed, but makes petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. He loved Daniel. You know, when you serve with excellence out there, you will find that, yes, you'll get opposition from some people, but other people will love you. And so he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. So Daniel exhibited courageous faith. He was willing to stand and not compromise his convictions. Are you willing to stand and not compromise your convictions? You see, how do we thrive and not just survive, it's by embracing our calling as salt and light in the world. It's by excelling in character, letting the character of Christ flow out of us with lives of integrity. And it's by exhibiting no compromise, by sticking by our convictions. But I don't know about for you, but for me, when I read this story, it makes me a bit uncomfortable. Because I have to admit, I feel weak. And I don't feel as courageous and strong as Daniel. You know, when we read these stories in the Bible, we tend to read them as morality tales. Be like Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. And I think there's something about that. Yes, this is teaching us about, about how to thrive as exiles in the world. But where does the courage come from to embrace your calling, to excel in character, to exhibit courageous faith, if I just preach it to you and stop here, you will walk out of this room 
convicted but not transformed. So where does the courage come from? Well, this is an amazing story of deliverance, and I think that's why we love it so much. Look down in verse 19. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. So God sends his angels to shout, shut, sends his angel to shut the mouth of the lions. Well, there you go. That's where the courage comes from, to embrace your calling, to excel in character, to exhibit no compromise. It comes from the fact that we know that God will shut the mouth of the lions. But wait a second, does God always shut the mouth of the lions? I mean, I wonder how uh, Ignatius of Antioch would read this story. Ignatius was a Christian in the first century who 108 AD was literally eaten by lions in the Colosseum. Or how do the believers in Hebrews 11 read this story? We love Hebrews 11. It's called the, the Hall of Faith. And it starts out with these great characters of faith like Abraham and Sarah. But at the end, it talks about Christians who are being stoned and imprisoned and even sawn in two. How would they read this story? You see, if God put this story in the Bible to teach us that if we are innocent and stand for Him, then we can expect Him to deliver us always without a scratch, then we're just kidding ourselves. Because you, you know that that's not true, don't you? I mean, let's, let's have a moment of truthfulness. Is, is that true? Come on. You know that Christians do get beaten up and killed for their faith, right? You do know that's true. Let's deal in truth here tonight. Let's deal in reality here tonight. Now, if we just read this story as a morality tale, then we miss something very powerful about this story. You see, I know someone who is actually more innocent than Daniel. Someone who was thrown metaphorically into a lion's den, whose stone was rolled over his tomb, who no deceit was found in his mouth, and yet the lions metaphorically ripped him to shreds and tore him apart. You see, Daniel's miraculous deliverance, this is key, my young friends, is actually that. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Now, Darius says as much in verse 27. He says that God delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. In other words, he does miracles. So this is a sign. This is a miracle. But what is a miracle? Uh, let me tell you what a miracle isn't. A miracle isn't just a naked display of God's power. All of the miracles that Jesus did in the Bible were actually signposts. They pointed forward to God's future coming kingdom. When Jesus healed the blind, when he made the lame walk, when he raised Lazarus to life, these were all signposts 
pointing forward to what God's future kingdom will be like. In God's future kingdom, there will be no death. There'll be no disease. The devil won't reign anymore in God's future kingdom. And so in the lion's den, you have God's kingdom breaking out because do you know what it says in Isaiah is going to happen in God's kingdom? It says that the lion will lie down with the lamb. God will shut the mouth of the lions in God's future kingdom. So where does the courage come from to stand for God? Even though it might cost you, it comes from knowing even though you might give your life now, you have eternal life. You have eternal life. You have a life to come. He has shut the mouth of the lion. You see, this also points to Jesus. Did you notice in verse 22 that it's Daniel said, my God sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lions. Now, it's very interesting that over in chapter three, that when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego walked in the fiery furnace, there was a fourth person who walked with them, one who was like the son of the living God. And later in that chapter, he is called the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord. And right here, it says, my God sent his angel to shut the mouth of the lion. Jesus shut the mouth of the lion so that Daniel could not be harmed. And do you know why Jesus could shut the mouth of the lion? Because on the cross, Jesus suffered the full roar of God's wrath against sin so that our sin could be paid for, so that he could shut the mouth of the lion. Don't let anyone ever tell you that Daniel is the lion tamer in Daniel chapter 6. Jesus is the lion tamer in Daniel chapter 6. Jesus has shut the mouth of the lions. We just read before about your adversary, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone whom he may devour. Maybe there are people this week who have been in the grasp of the lion's mouth. Well, guess what? Jesus has shut the lion's mouth. Jesus has defeated Satan on the cross. So you don't have to fear any longer. You can walk in faith. You know, I was listening this week to this story about when the gospel first came to Vietnam through, well, when the gospel came once to Vietnam through Ravi Zacharias, he held crusades in Vietnam and, and it was powerful. Many people responded to the gospel. And then when Ravi left, uh, there was a bit of a backlash by the government because they didn't like all the conversions and what was happening. And so they imprisoned Ravi Zacharias's translator and put him in prison for seven years in a hard labor camp where he had to suffer for those seven years. And on, this, on the anniversary of the seventh year of his imprisonment, he got up in the morning and he said, this morning I am not going to pray because what God would expose me to seven years of suffering? And so his job that day was actually to clean out the latrines, to clean out the toilets. And as he was cleaning out the toilets, there was this little piece of paper in the toilet. And he found the piece of paper and he took it back to his room and he opened it up. And do you know what was written on the piece of paper? It was these words. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor things present, nor things to come, nor any other thing will be able to separate you from the love 
of God that is in Christ Jesus. After experiencing seven years, apparently, of God's absence, he had a promise which told him that he would experience an eternity of God's presence. Do you see, my friends, where does the courage come from to embrace your calling, to excel in character, to actually exhibit no compromise in though it may cost? It comes from the fact that Jesus has tamed the lion. Jesus, the ultimate lion tamer, has tamed the lions of God's wrath and we will enter into his eternal kingdom so they might take my life right now, but I have eternal life in Jesus. And the more you can grasp that truth, the more you'll be willing to give up your life because what is life but a mist that rises in the morning and quickly dissipates? Only one earth life soon will be passed Only what's done for Jesus will last. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jesus said, you can gain the whole world and yet you can forfeit your soul. And what would a man give in exchange for his soul? I wonder, I wonder. Do you need to come back to the Lord tonight and ask him to tame the lion? Because on the cross, he tamed the lion. He's the ultimate lion tamer.